This is Macro Horizons, episode 148, Thanksgiving Special, presented by BMO Capital Markets. I'm your host, Ian Lingen, here with Ben Jeffrey to bring you our thoughts from the trading desk for the upcoming week of November 29th. And as another Turkey Day quickly approaches, on top of this year's thankful list resides the fact that management has yet to insist Macro Horizons becomes a videocast. No one needs that. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. Each week, we offer an updated view on the U.S. rates market and a bad joke or two. But more importantly, the show is centered on responding directly to questions submitted by listeners and clients. We also end each show with our musings on the week ahead. Please feel free to reach out on Bloomberg or email me at ian.lyngen at bmo.com with questions for future episodes. We value your input and hope to keep the show as interactive as possible. So that being said, let's get started. In the week just past, the Treasury market had a couple key inputs to help define forward expectations, not least of which was to renominate Powell as the chair of the FOMC and Brainerd as the vice chair. Now, this was very much in keeping with the market consensus, although it did trigger a reasonable amount of bearish price action, if for no other reason than the decision removed the risk that Brainerd was nominated as the head of the FOMC. Now, in the context of what this implies for forward monetary policy expectations, if anything, it simply serves as an official endorsement on the part of the administration of Powell's recent hawkish pivot. Now, to be fair, the Fed is anything but super hawkish at the moment, but some of the recent transition, including the tapering of QE, does translate to a less dovish stance. We continue to anticipate that this less dovish stance will flow through into 2022 and eventually lead to the first rate hike. All else being equal, one rate hike next year is a reasonable departure point for a conversation about the Fed. Powell has made it abundantly clear that he is retaining the transitory narrative. This point was reiterated following the November FOMC meeting when he commented that he expects inflation to moderate in the second and third quarter of 2022. Now recall that in Q2 2021, there were some very significant base effects at play, which led to relatively dramatic increases in the year-over-year pace of inflation. Fast forward to the second quarter of 2022, and we will have a reversal of those influences, albeit on a more modest scale. Given that the monthly increases of core CPI in the months of April, May, and June were between 7 and 9 tenths of a percent, it's safe to say that there is a relatively high inflationary bar as we think about the time frame for the Fed's evaluation of transitory. To be fair, if we find ourselves in June of next year and the Fed hasn't seen the anticipated reversal of inflationary pressures, one should anticipate a relatively swift policy response. Relatively swift in the context of the Fed, however, should be measured in meetings and quarters, not days or weeks. This implies that the second most likely outcome for rate hikes next year will be two quarter-point hikes in the second half. 
the market consensus currently stands at a 25 basis point move per quarter cadence. And that was simply derived by looking at the last tightening cycle. There is an argument to be made that if the Fed feels that they're far enough behind the curve on inflation, that quarter point moves might not be considered sufficient. So one would be remiss not to at least keep the probability of a half point move on the table should the Fed's transitory assumption ultimately be proven incorrect. While it was a short week, there was certainly no dearth of information that offered some pretty meaningful direction to the Treasury market. Probably most notable was Monday's announcement that Chair Powell has now been renominated and Governor Brainerd will be taking the vice chair seat, the one that will be vacated by Clarita on January 31st of next year. What's interesting from my perspective about the price response to this was it was decidedly bearish. We saw the front end sell off the five-year sector as well. Now that's notable because it was a largely consensus result. Although to be fair, on the margin, there was the risk that Brainerd got the chair seat. One of the biggest takeaways from the renomination is policy continuity. Now, to some extent, that goes without saying, but the fact of the matter is there has been a lot of disagreement within the market as well as in Washington on the best response to higher inflation. This eventually will bring us back to the transitory or not transitory debate, but for the time being, I think the key takeaway is that the Biden administration, via renominating Powell, has offered an implicit endorsement in the chair's current plan to continue tapering apace unless the data dictates and eventually deliver a liftoff rate hike sometime in 2022. And that's a fairly notable divergence from what we've seen from presidential administrations past. President Trump frequently expressed his opinion that he wanted lower interest rates. And even looking back historically, there is an abundance of evidence that the executive branch has consistently pushed for easier monetary policy. After all, a president with aims on re-election would naturally like the economy to be running as hot as possible. Bring that to the current paradigm and the fact that the current administration gave its sort of tacit endorsement of a more hawkish slant, exactly as you point out, Ian, speaks to the importance of inflation. And the reality is that at this point, higher consumer prices have made their way into being a political issue. So it's not unreasonable to think that maybe one of the motivating factors behind this decision was in order to be viewed as, quote unquote, taking inflation seriously. Well, when coupled with Biden's decision to release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in coordination with other major nations, it does speak to the fact that Washington is taking inflation very seriously. It certainly resonates that higher oil prices leading to higher costs at the pumps ahead of the holiday shopping season is something that policymakers should be worried about. And while we received an answer on the chair and vice chair nominations, that still leaves three vacancies on the board of governors that Biden will soon need to nominate, including the vice chair for supervision, a role that was formerly held by Quarles, and at least based on our conversations with clients, a job that many thought Brainerd would get the nod for. So with the White House slated to announce those nominations at some point in early December, that will be something of an event risk, at least from a financial regulation perspective. 
And it follows intuitively that the Democrats would want to leave their mark on the Fed via a presumably somewhat more restrictive regulatory environment. While this isn't an immediately tradable event for the Treasury market, it is something to keep in mind as we hear of future initiatives from the Board of Governors. In keeping with the theme of politics, let's not forget that 2022 is a midterm year. I would argue that makes the Powell nomination all the more noteworthy, especially what we saw in the Virginia governor's race and what that ultimately might suggest about the Democrats' prospects at the midterms. Now, Republican or Democrat aside, what we've tended to see historically is that in the midterm elections, at least one of the houses of Congress has tended to change control, whether that be from Republican to Democrat or Democrat to Republican. So in practical terms, this implies that while we now have the infrastructure bill in hand, if in fact we're going to be returning to a more gridlocked situation in D.C. in 2022, it certainly doesn't bode well for any new sweeping legislation that increases spending and ultimately treasury issuance. And in the very near term, let us not forget that we still haven't made it through the debt ceiling debate. Between now and the end of the year, one should expect increased headlines regarding the potential for the U.S. to default. Now, we're reminded that unlike most debentures, there is actually not a cross-default provision for treasuries. So said differently, we could have delayed payments on one or two bills comparable to what we saw in 1979, and that will not trigger a mass default of treasury debt. Nonetheless, it will make for interesting headlines from the financial media and something that will surely lead to price dislocations in parts of the bill market. And on the issue of governmental borrowing and treasury supply specifically, we've now seen the entirety of November's coupon auctions come and go. And frankly, it was something of an uninspired month in terms of supply. The only two stop-throughs we saw were for 10-year tips, an endorsement of the value of inflation protection at this point in the cycle, and this past week's seven-year auction. And what makes this so noteworthy is that this was the first month we saw smaller auction sizes since they were revealed at the refunding announcement earlier this month. And all else equal, one would think that smaller auctions would translate to more robust results. The fact that we saw the opposite highlights that it's the monetary policy and macro backdrop that are far more consequential in determining these auction results. And I think that that's important context when we contemplate 2022. We're very much on board with a Q1 sell-off that attempts to reprice the U.S. rates market at a higher plateau in terms of yields. Now, we do anticipate that the brunt of the bearish impulse will play out in the five-year sector, and that implies a further flattening of the 5s 30s and 5s 10s curve. Now, we've been cautious in how we frame this potential sell-off. It's not that we're not anticipating a retrade of the dynamic that was at play during Q1 of 2021, but rather this round will have more fundamental support and therefore be somewhat more sustainable. The flip side is that once the market reprices and the Fed, which we assume will be the case, retains the transitory narrative, at least until the second, if not the third quarter, then we'll find ourselves in a situation where risk assets start to look increasingly vulnerable. It's easy to envision a situation where not only are nominal yields higher at the beginning of 2022, but also real yields, particularly in the 10-year sector, start to drift higher, perhaps above negative 50 basis points, and that ultimately will have ramifications for the equity market and other risk assets eventually leading through to 
tighter financial conditions. Such a situation would effectively be the market tightening for the Fed. And if the market tightens for the Fed, that will lessen the urgency bind monetary policymakers to either accelerate tapering or bring forward the liftoff rate hike. But it's not just a question of the market's pricing of normalization. The departure point, both from a yield perspective, but also an economic fundamental one, matters. And in this regard, the next three weeks are going to be very pivotal, given the fact that this week we get November's payrolls print, the following week we get the November CPI data, and then of course is the Fed meeting, which, while at one point was largely expected to be a placeholder, now contains the event risk associated with either a more aggressive dot plot and or the prospect for the Fed to hint that maybe the debate around accelerating tapering is picking up a bit of steam. I think it's fair to say that at the December FOMC meeting, there will be a discussion about accelerating tapering. And while my baseline assumption is that they don't follow through with that in December, one would be remiss not to look at the November non-farm payrolls data and, arguably more importantly, the November CPI print as a gauge for any additional urgency on the part of policymakers to wind down QE more quickly and thereby provide a greater deal of flexibility regarding the first rate hike if and when they decide to bring it forward. And we've heard from several members of the committee that they are in the camp advocating for a faster pace of winding down bond buying. Specifically, Waller and Bostic come to mind, but given the fact that their more hawkish tendencies over the course of 2021 are well known, Clarita's comments that he might think about starting the conversation on accelerating tapering really reiterates this notion that while, yes, every vote counts on the committee, really it's the chair, the vice chair, and the president of the New York Fed who contribute most meaningfully to the overall policy discourse. So Williams, Clarita, and Powell, not yet suggesting their advocacy for a faster pace of tapering, should leave the issue firmly in the discussion category in December. And given Clarita's looming departure, one should be a bit more assertive in discounting those headlines. I'm just glad he's going to have time to work on that next album. Truly looking forward to that. In the week ahead, the Treasury market will be returning from the long holiday weekend to meet a series of important data releases. First up will be Wednesday's ADP figures, as well as ISM manufacturing. Now, these will help set the tone ahead of Friday's all-important November payrolls report. As it presently stands, the consensus for Friday's number is a half a million increase in non-farm payrolls, with an unemployment rate at 4.5%. We've been focused and will continue to emphasize the relevance of the labor market participation rate, particularly the below 55-year-old cohort. We know that the pandemic has led to a wide variety of changes in U.S. labor, not least of which it has brought forward retirement for many baby boomers, so it doesn't resonate that the 55 and older cohort will be especially relevant for the next stage in the cycle. What is more important are the low-wage earners and the frontline service sector. There's no question that we're seeing pockets of labor scarcity, particularly in the low-wage and low-skilled sector. What is uncertain is how long that persists now that the enhanced unemployment benefits have expired, and we're now seeing shockingly low initial jobless claims. It will be very informative for the macro outlook to have the update from the November employment report. 
One would typically anticipate that December would be relatively quiet in terms of macro inputs and, more importantly, anything that would occur which would truly recast expectations for the year ahead. Alas, this December is atypical, certainly in this regard. If for no other reason than the mid-December FOMC meeting will allow the market to receive another input as investors attempt to further refine a collective understanding of the Fed's reaction function to the higher-than-expected realized inflation prints. Needless to say, the potential for an accelerated tapering is on the table, although we expect that that will not ultimately come to fruition. Nonetheless, a focus on the payrolls report, including the labor market participation, as well as the composition of the CPI data that will be released on the 9th of December, are warranted and could potentially turn the tide in terms of the Fed's thinking. That said, all the early indications suggest that Q4's inflation profile will be notably more subdued than that of Q2, which should, all else being equal, take any pressure or urgency off the Fed to respond with a quicker pace of tapering. We've reached the point in this week's episode where we'd like to offer our sincere thanks and condolences to anyone who has managed to make it this far. And with holiday travel at hand, we've never been so excited to quickly fail a rapid test. Didn't even study. Thanks for listening to Macro Horizons. Please visit us at bmocm.com backslash macrohorizons. As we aspire to keep our strategy effort as interactive as possible, we'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. So please email me directly with any feedback at ian.lingen at bmo.com. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show has been produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. 
no representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.